With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Welcome to Chat Noir, Mystery and Suspense. I hope you're having a mysterious day, one that you might just need to investigate. I'm Linda Kozar, your host, and I will be interviewing author Sandra Orchard, who writes mysteries with uber cute titles. You're welcome to call in to the live show. Listener guest call in is 516-453-5123. Uh, and I'm going to get right into introducing, just reading a little about Sandra before I introduce her. Um, she's the winner of the RT Reviewer's Choice Award, the National Reader's Choice Award, and the Daphne du Maurier Award of Excellence. And she leaps off the garden trails of her herbal researcher turned amateur sleuth, Port Astor series um, to the museum corridors of her plucky FBI art crime agent, Serena Jones, in A Fool in His Monet. While not plotting crimes, Sandra plays make-believe with her grandchildren or hikes with her hubby along the escarpment near their home in Niagara, Canada. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I want to talk a bit about, let's see, let people know some of the titles of your books. I think that would be kind of cool. Um, would you would you like to just um, rattle off a few of them, like the Serena series that we're talking about today? Okay, the Serena series are all a play on artists names so it's a fool and his monet uh, another day another dolly and <laughs> over maya dead body where maya is for the antiquities which i just love they're just so cute i, I love those titles and you know and for me a cozy mystery without an uber cute title is not going to make it it's not going to cut it <laughs> <laughs> so, so those would attract me right away um so what drew you to mystery and suspense? Well, I have a mathematical brain, so I like to solve puzzles, and I enjoy reading fast-paced books. So mysteries keep me thinking, trying to guess who done it. But I like the dash of romance in there. And, of course, I love plotting twists and turns that 
hopefully keep my readers up all night. <laughs> Do you usually guess when you read other books or you watch mystery crime shows or whatever, do you usually guess who the killer is? Or the criminal? Yeah, surprisingly, a lot of times I don't. I anticipate what the twist will be, but sometimes I'm so busy pulling it apart that I'm not really thinking about who who done it as to how the writer did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes we get too caught up in that kind of stuff. Um, now, did you start with with mystery and suspense, um, or did you begin writing something else and kind of go off on that trail, on that tangent? So I thought I was writing romance. I'd been reading a lot of love-inspired books and enjoying it. <laughs> so that's who I was aiming for. And then they came out with the love-inspired suspense line, and I realized, oh, that's what I'd been writing. And soon after that, I was able to get in with them. But it, it naturally evolved into writing mysteries for Reval because I wanted to write some stories with a continuing sleuth, which you can't do in a romantic suspense because the hero and heroine need to get together by the end of the book. Right. Um now what now when you can you tell our readers I mean some of them are you know writers who want to get published um can you tell them your publishing journey how you got those first contracts with Love Inspired so you inspired them a little bit <laughs> Basically you need to persevere I wrote lots of novels I rewrote lots of novels I took lots of courses and workshops online I paid for critiques, which were really helpful. I um, attended conferences, and I entered contests. And they proved to be really helpful. In fact, the one contest that I finished dead last in, that book ended up being my first book that was published because they pinpointed the key problem. And once I fixed that problem, the book was ready. But it was actually winning the Daphne du Maurier that really opened doors for me because then um, I spoke yes. with a new editor at Love Inspired about a book, the winning book, that they had actually already rejected in a previous form. And I convinced oh. her to take a second look at it. And because of, you know, it's a little bit of status to win. So she thought, okay, my writing must be pretty good. So she read the entire book, whereas editors normally wouldn't do that if they're going to reject it. And she told me exactly why that type of plot didn't work for them. And it was like a light bulb went off. Then I understood what they really wanted. And I mm -hmm. was able to change that other story that came dead last <laughs> in that context. Nice. And That's got to feel me, good, though. That's got to feel good. <laughs> it was really exciting. It was a super fun year. <laughs> Well, and, and some publishers like Love Inspired are very specific in, in their oh, yeah. their plots, how okay. they're to go. And, uh, but a little cachet can't hurt. <laughs> a little yeah. cachet like a, a prestigious award, that really yeah. helps. But the hard work is where, what gets you there. Helps. Patience helps, too, because with Ravel, I, I think it was a year and a half they had been sitting on my manuscript for a year and a half, and I just assumed that it had long ago been rejected. 
but wow. the editor was just quietly waiting for a slot that she could plug it into at at you know in their program publishing program so you know hope prayer <laughs> patience perseverance <laughs> so I mean, the so the message is, yeah, like, don't give up and, and don't think just because you haven't heard from anyone that they don't like your work, um, because the, the wheels of the publishing world turn very slowly. <laughs> yeah. uh, like that and old I saying, the now, ox is slow, but the earth is patient. <laughs> yeah. And I think now it's so tempting to just jump in very quickly and self-publish. But I'm yes. glad that that wasn't easy to do when I first started because I learned so much in the process of writing those novels and, and in getting the critiques and the feedback. And I made lots of friends at different conferences and, and through online connections. In fact, in 2008, I had uh, Margaret Daly critique the book that my first debut book that was published, she critiqued it at a conference in 2008 and said, it's ready to send. <laughs> but because nice. it was considered by another publisher, I didn't actually send that in until 2010. But by the time that happened, I had the second book in the series done and the third book in the series plotted. So I was able to go boom, bang, bing, and have three Perfect. books come out within a year and a month which is yeah, really because nice when you write for that publisher. Yeah, and a series, um, they want them to come out at, at set intervals, you know, because fans yeah. want to read the next one and the next one. That's so nice. that's awesome. Um, now, yeah. who is your most memorable or your favorite character in one of your books? And if you could, would you want to meet that character? <laughs> oh, I'd love to meet every hero that I write. Um, especially Zach, I think. I have a thing for firemen. <laughs> um, in my current series, probably Serena's great-aunt Martha is the most memorable. It seems to be the one everybody likes. She's adventurous and fun and the kind of person you want to grow up to be like when you're like over 70. <laughs> she has a lot of pluck. Yeah. Yes. And that's... Yes. Yeah, that's what we all want to be when we're 70. <laughs> um, yeah. now, now, what are you working on now? Right now I'm working on a cozy mystery, and it's for an ongoing series that's written by multiple authors. So I'm, I'm kind of catching up on the characters that are continuing characters throughout the series and, and plugging a story into that. Do you find that challenging? I'm really enjoying it because I get to read a lot of books to, <laughs> to get the feel of it. So your mind is totally immersed in all these characters that you didn't have to create, but you feel like you know them intimately already just by reading the early books. Yes, but it's kind of like you've got to keep track of all all these facts, <laughs> the the yes, eye color, the hair, all that stuff, like playing three dimensional chess or something. Um, they do now, give us do a you, guide. Oh, and that helps, and yeah. that definitely would help. Now, do you incorporate settings in your books from your real life travels? Oh yes, it, I especially with the Serena Jones books. 
I actually decided on setting it in St. Louis because I wanted to attend a, a ACFW conference there. Oh, yes. So I looked it up, and I found that there was an FBI headquarters there. So I contacted them to see if I could visit. And, I, you know, after they checked me all out and I promised them my firstborn child, <laughs> they let me come. <laughs> and they actually had an art crime agent on staff there. There's only 13 across the country, 12 to 13. It varies at different times. And one was there, and I got to meet with him. And they gave me a media contact person in Washington as well who continued to answer my questions. So that was awesome on the research side of the FBI. Of course, I couldn't take any camera into there to get pictures, but I had a friend who toured me, her and her sister-in-law toured me all around St. Louis so I could see all the neighborhoods, decide where Serena would live, decide where her parents would live, what kind of background they would have, because there's a lot of really interesting neighborhoods that are very distinct, like the Italian section and the Irish section and that sort of thing. Oh, that's really fascinating, and yeah. Forest Park was just amazing. It's, it's way bigger than Central Park and has the art museum that the first story is based on. And then, of course, visiting Martha's Vineyard was awesome. <laughs> last book <laughs> had to go there twice. Now it's, it's it's a lot different like when you scope out a location um in real life instead of online uh, you pick up nuances and things that you would never pick up just from you know someone else's view of the place don't you oh, think that's absolutely. true the sounds, the smells, even the taste of the air is different. Like in yes. the middle of a city versus out by the ocean, for sure, a lot of difference. In fact, I, when I went to Alaska on a cruise, which one of my earlier books is based on, I asked my then accounting sister, uh, if I could claim the trip, and she says, oh, no, I would, no. And I said, but I couldn't write this story if I hadn't been there. And she said, oh, yeah, you can look that stuff up online. And it's so not true. You just don't get the feel of a place when, when you walk the streets and actually feel it, experience it hands-on. Right, right. I, well, I didn't know about you, but... It Anytime I travel anywhere, I take notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I take notes yeah. along the way because I never know if I'm going to use them. I might. Oh, you know, and but airports I... are awesome for characters. <laughs> oh, when you're yes. waiting, especially when the plane's delayed and you just sit there and watch what people do. <laughs> um, airports and DPS. <laughs> <laughs> Where you go to get your driver's license. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> those are the two best places. But, um, so, um, do you hate any of your characters? And I asked that because Agatha Christie hated Poro. And I just wondered if you did. That's awful. <laughs> no, I, that's like asking me if I hate one of my children. <laughs> but you know what? Kate 
in the Port Astor Secret Series, she did start to drive me pretty crazy because that was the series when I started letting the characters write the story and kind of took over. And so I did feel the need to kill her off. It was really (laughs) cathartic. I even went on Facebook and said, I did it, I killed her. (laughs) But you'll have to read the book to see if my editor let me get away with it. Well, now, now here's the thing that um, that some readers may not know about about authors. The characters, once you start writing a series, the characters almost become real to you, and they sort of dictate what's going to happen next. Not that not anything weird or <laughs> spiritual, but it, it's just that in your mind, you know how your characters you've crafted them so that you know what they would do and what they wouldn't do. So That's they right. kind of take you along on the journey, don't you think? For sure. And I actually have a couple of critique partners who will sometimes say to me, oh, she would never do that. Yes. <laughs> and then I That's a good critique partner. And go, yeah, you know what? You're right. So... For sure. Yeah, that's out of character. <laughs> yeah, and so if they're going to do it, you have to write in enough motivation to convince the reader that, yeah, in the right circumstance, they really would do that. Are you a fan of Sherlock? The one I, with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one I watch on PBS is one... I, I'm not sure which one's Benedict. <laughs> it tells you how much I pay attention to actors. Is that a modern Well, one you would know if it was Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> He's, well, uh, yeah, it's the one in Masterpiece Theater, yeah. And, yeah, yeah Benedict. Old, old oh, wait, are you still there? Yep. Okay, good. <laughs> I thought I lost you for a second. Okay, uh, go on. Like, I, I watched the PBS series that's older, not not the newer one. Oh, okay. Um, I think I know what you're talking about, because I've watched a lot of different Sherlock's over the years, starting with Basil Rathbone, you know, those, those first ones yeah. from, <laughs> like, 30s. Yes. Um, so, not that do... one, the one after that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I can't remember who that is, but uh, I've probably seen it as well. Um, What do you do? I'm going to go to talking about Over My Dead Body after this, but what do you do to market your books? For the most part, I try to write the best story I can and hope readers who enjoy it will tell their friends. I, I make a point. I respond to every reader who writes or emails. Sometimes I wonder how many of my responses actually make it past their junk mail. But uh, I do blog interviews, guest posts. My publisher sets up a blog tour with reviewers and sends out review copies to like trade publications. I hand out bookmarks at, at reader events, conferences I attend, book signings. I do speaking engagements, and I teach at writing conferences active on Facebook. I'm not really on any other social media. Uh, and I have a newsletter. I send out new releases. Uh, it's, so marketing is almost as much work as writing. It's more work. 
<laughs> I know because writing's sort of easier for us. Um, yeah. But, but readers can I find you. Those last ten thousand words for me. Oh yeah. I've been pulling out yeah, my hair that on can, those, but yeah. That can be hard. But readers can find you on Facebook and Pinterest and your website, and they can uh, on BookBub, and they can also get on your newsletter list if they want to. They just uh, go to one of those social media sites and just ask to be put on your newsletter to find out what's new with Sandra Orchard. That's now, right. and um, I even bribe them by giving them free stories. <laughs> ooh, now that's good. Now, now tell yeah. us about your featured book, um, Over My A Dead Body. That's the final book. There won't be any more, right? Just those three in the Serena well, Jones I have a, I have a bunch of readers trying to convince me to do more a spin-off, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. So, this, is, this is the final book, third and final book um, from Ravel Publishing. So my plucky FBI agent, I love that word plucky. Yes. <laughs> she specializes in art crime, as you've guessed from the title. And in this book, she's supposed to be on vacation in beautiful Martha's Vineyard. But instead, she stumbles onto an antiquities case, which is connected to the death of a close friend of the family. Of the three books, this is actually the first one that involves a murder mystery. The rest are strictly art crimes. So I think you might have mentioned standalone mystery, but there's yes. a fun, eclectic group of secondary characters who continue to appear. And in the first book, A Fool and His Monet, I invited readers to vote for the man in Serena's life who she'd likely um, end up with at the end, who they'd like to see her start a relationship with at the end anyway. So for that reason, I recommend reading them in order. And in this final book, I had tallied the votes and my fulfilled my readers' wishes, or at least the majority of them. <laughs> and for the rest who, who voted for the guy who didn't win her heart, although they both really won her heart, I've started a private Facebook group where they can commiserate over her choices without fear of you know, spreading spoilers across the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, And readers how... who are... Sorry. Go ahead. Keep, keep going. Keep going. So I was going to say, and readers who um, like the supporting cast that we're all in St. Louis will be happy to know that a lot of them fly out to Martha's Vineyard to help her. So, you know, potentially fun romp in the sun and sand if they survive. <laughs> yeah. That's what I love about mysteries. Um, now, Okay, my question is, like, the, the final book involves murder. How was that different for you um, in writing about a murder as opposed to crimes, other crimes, like theft? Well, it actually, um, for, for, first of all, when I have a murder mystery, it it doesn't get into, it's strictly cozy, like it doesn't get into any graphic details. Right. But actually in this book, it's not so much that she's solving the murder, although she is, 
she's solving the art crime that is responsible for the murder. So the the victim was involved in some way in this antiquity smuggling or knew about it. And so in her search for the truth, for his killer, what she really has to do is figure out what figure get to the bottom of this antiquity smuggling ring and then hopefully that will help her out the killer okay so my next question is you're canadian so i wonder if you're a fan of louise penny (laughs) i have so many people telling me i need to read her and i'm hoping to meet her at boucheron in toronto this october I have read one of her books, but it was so long ago that I actually can't remember because I have, you know how it is, we just read so many books, so I can't even oh, yes. remember what it was about, but I'm sure I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has such a large fan base um, oh, yeah. that I thought, oh gosh. <laughs> um Okay, here's here's a little section where we just have enough time to do some fun questions at the end. I call these suspenders because they might keep us in a little suspense. Um, now, there's a short story, and, and if you don't know them, it's no problem because, you know, not a lot of people would. But um, a short story by a famous author whose last name, there's only three letters in his last name. That's a little clue was published in 1841 and was said to have begun the entire mystery genre, which I think every mystery author should know. Oh, I know this one because I actually used it in the book I'm writing right now. Ooh, okay. Which pinpoints the horror genre. So that would be Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, that's correct. And the story was The Murders in the Rue Morgue. It was a short story. And, which was kind of terrifying. I remember reading that as a teenager. And I thought, well, that's scary. <laughs> okay, good. Check. You got that one. Okay, which author, this will be an easy one, which author created a pipe-smoking character who came back from the dead to become the best-known sleuth in crime fiction, or the entire genre, basically? He came back from the dead? So is yes. Sherlock Holmes? I didn't know he um, came back from the dead. Yes, that's the character, and the author is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yes, he did. In the books, he did come back from the dead. I mean, he wasn't actually dead, but he was declared dead. You know, it was all a ruse. Um, oh, okay. okay. Next. Now, here's here's something crimey. <laughs> um Two girls ate dinner together. They both order iced tea. One girl drank her iced tea very fast and finished five in the time it took the other to drink just one. The girl who drank one glass of iced tea died while the other survived. All of the drinks were poisoned. How did the girl who drank the most tea survive? That's one of those questions. She drank so much that she just peed out all that poison. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what the answer is. The poison was in the ice. Ah. 
So it had to, of course, melt, and she didn't give it time to melt. Ah. Except the first girl took her time and nursed her drink. <laughs> okay, the this is the last story. one. <laughs> I know, and we just have three minutes here. Um, a man is found murdered on a Sunday morning. His wife calls the police, who question the wife and the staff, and are given the following alibis. The wife says she was sleeping. The butler was cleaning the closet. The gardener was picking vegetables. The maid was getting the mail, and the cook was preparing breakfast. Immediately, the police arrest the murderer. Who did it, and how did the police know? That's a uh, tough one. There's so many suspects. How was he murdered? Um, they didn't say how he was murdered, just that he was. So she found her husband, but she said she was where? Uh, well, um, the wife says she was sleeping, and he's found murdered on a Sunday morning. So, you know, it's more the alibis that you concentrate on. The wife was sleeping. The butler was cleaning the closet. The gardener was picking. The maid was getting the mail, and the cook was preparing breakfast. Okay, well, the maid wouldn't have been getting the mail because it was Sunday. That's right. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's right yeah see these are fun these are just fun yeah. i love these little mind games <laughs> well it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show sandra and and i hope i would yeah. love to have you back and talk some Thank more because it's never enough time <laughs> um but people can find you on Facebook, and I hope they will. Um, also, you're going to be on the Suspense Sisters blog in August. So I'm looking forward okay. to having some of our listeners meet you there as well. And, and I'll be doing a giveaway so there. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yes. So thank you so much, and have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.